I now actually am feeling the barrier of being able to pick up new things constantly. And yeah, but like, if you don't stay current, you're gonna actually end up. Staying current though is different, is very different than actually having real knowledge. Okay, I mean, if you're just pretending that you don't have knowledge. Mostly. I get that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you gotta have the knowledge or else, you know, no, you'll, no. Be, you'll become obsolete. No, it's like, <laughs> I know that TikTok exists. Right. And I installed it for like eight minutes and then I deleted it. Yeah. I'm choosing to just not understand that. <laughs> I'm just gonna let everybody else have that and be like, I'm too I'm too old to understand. That's kind of that was the beginning. It's a slippery slope though. <laughs> it is a slippery slope. This is Charles. And this is Rachel. From BNV Radio. This is Design Goggles. Ask a carpenter how to solve a problem, and he'll want to build something. Ask a surgeon how to help a patient, and she'll likely suggest an operation. The same goes if you talk to a designer. We generally look to solve the world's problems with design. Sometimes that leads us to think of design as a heroic pursuit. But what if design isn't as inherently optimistic as we make it out to be? Perhaps part of the problem is the word design itself. The world of design is so amorphous and vague, it's used to describe everything from software engineering, fashion, graphics, type, architecture, interiors, landscape, even to describe the act of living itself. Is designing something, anything, inherently a good idea? Is the addition of the word design to a pursuit putting up invisible barriers preventing accessibility to the public? Are we suffering from design overreach? Are we designing ourselves in circles or are we designing a way forward? This week, Rachel and I, your faithful hosts, are going to figure it all out for you, sort of. Rachel, thanks again for hosting with me again. No, I don't know how to thank you for hosting <laughs> with me. You're contractually obligated to be here, and <laughs> I don't need to thank you. So, yeah, yeah you're present. I'm, I'm here. I'm witnessing you Let's here with me. Let's talk about it. So, I had a conversation with a coworker of mine, and we were going back and forth on the title for, like, a design role in the office. And at one point during the conversation, I felt really strongly that like the word design should be in the title because it's a design role. And coworker brought up the word itself design is divisive. And at first I reacted really strongly to that internally. I was just like, that's ridiculous. Like design is a wonderful thing. I obviously love design. It's a huge part of my life. I'm really passionate about it. And the idea that the word design could be negative in and of itself or divisive in and of itself bothered me initially. And I did what I always do whenever I'm disagreeing with somebody. I like try to see it from their perspective for a minute. And as soon as I did that, it actually kind of fractured my ideas about the word design and about the world of design. And that I wondered if we just automatically default to design as heroic and that we're the heroes in this story where we're born into this world that has all these problems and design's going to solve all of them and we're going to be the ones to do it. I feel like most people I knew in school started there. Mm -hmm. Design superheroes. I mean, that's the only reason that I wear my underwear on the outside. Right. And I figured that was the reason for the cape. Yeah. I just never asked, but I yeah. figured. It's assumed. Right. Yeah. You know, in Bauhaus, they actually wore capes. Yes, I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of where I wanted to start. Like, are we guilty of that? Is it our education that gives us that hope? Or are we just optimistic like anybody going into college and coming out, wanting to solve the problem with whatever we do? If we're going to be a doctor, if we're going to be an accountant or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you have to have your reason for being, right? 
I mean, we've talked about the Hippocratic Oath for design before. Mm -hmm. So to branch out to other professions with lawyers, that privilege between client and attorney is sacred. And you have your doctor-patient relationships. We don't have anything that is maybe quite so legally bound as designers with clients, but there's no lack of passion there. Well, because it's subjective, right? It's like, did you solve the problem? There's no counsel of design to be like, yes, you served the people with this design. Well, not that there's necessarily right answers with the other. I mean, even in medicine and in law, there are debates about what was that the right choice that you went for with. Sure, sure. That's why there's second opinions. And it's really hard to find anything that has a right answer. And design is one of those ones that is separate I guess let's make a point of differentiating. In medicine, yes, there are different opinions, but there is ultimately science and what literally may or may not have happened. And in law, there is precedent Mm -hmm. and things occur and they are documented. And then that exists in the documentation and it may be referenced in the future, right? Mm -hmm. In design, it's harder because so much of it is opinion. Things happen, things are documented, things are lauded and celebrated or denigrated and critiqued as being, you know, blights on the land or whatever. Mm-hmm. But do we have a method of saying that this is more than somebody's opinion? Yeah, it gets murky. When I go back into history and I think of, okay, what are examples of design that are objectively good for the world? The first thing I went to was the Roman system of aqueducts. Mm-hmm. Brought plumbing and water to populations far from sources of water. Mm -hmm. Pretty big deal. Most historians, uh, no matter what part of the world they're writing from and what their history intersecting with the Romans was, said that, yeah, the Romans murdered and conquered and did all these things, but wherever they went, they brought plumbing. That was a good thing. Mm -hmm. And any aqueducts that still exist today are considered pretty important architectural works. But there are very few of those. Even if you go back to, okay, well, early hunter-gatherer shelter, where, you know, were they built by slave labor? Were they built by, Mm -hmm. you know, were they captured? Were they, I don't know. Beyond the aqueducts, it gets really murky and opinion is a thing after that point. So I've struggled to think about examples of design that are beyond reproach. Yeah. This is not specific to designers, but it's who's vetting the design is whether or not it's good. So much of it is other designers vetting it, right? Mm-hmm. Or people that know things about whatever area it is that we're talking about, and they have their opinions. Other doctors having opinions about what the other doctors are doing. Other lawyers having opinions about what the other lawyers are doing. Designers having opinions over what the designers are doing. It'd be amazing if we had some source where it was like, what does the general public think of what are the amazing designs? But the inherent problem there, I know, I see you're being like, Never, oh. yeah. <laughs> no, because... There's a lack of, I think, in design, almost more than a lot of other areas, maybe just because I'm close to it, but there is a lack of design education in the general public, at least in the United States. You see a lot more of it once you leave here and you go, say, to Europe or somewhere where they actually teach design in schools to young kids. Mm -hmm. It's just a thing. Oh, yeah. And there's a whole lot of public engagement with design and a lot more public competitions for how you're going to shape your public spaces. Mm -hmm. We don't do that as much here to our own detriment. Or when we do, it goes horribly, horribly wrong. I can't help but think about the whole Katrina foundation that was set up by Brad Pitt and whoever to bring like, you know, a dozen or so great architects to come design homes for people in need and it all went sideways and it just makes us look us as a community design community look worse but so then you have the question though of if you need people that don't know what you're talking about to be able to vet the thing you're talking about should good design be good enough that people that don't have an education in design still can be like hey yeah that's cool i like that i think ideally yes 
it's like great music. Everybody knows it when they hear it. Like rock around the clock created rock and roll music because nobody needed to be told it was good. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, this is different and it sounds great. So like when people saw I Am Pay's Pyramid at the Louvre, nobody had to be told that was really cool and interesting. Everybody just knew. But that's really rare. Well, it is because I think, like I've said this before in the podcast, really good design you don't necessarily notice. You don't think about it much. Like if something is really done well and you're interacting with it as a human, whether it's an object or a room that you're in or anything, if it just works and it does what you need it to do, then it was probably designed really well. You notice it more when something is not working right. and it annoys you. Either it's not functioning well or it's something about how it looks is bothering you or you're feeling uncomfortable and you don't even know why. Most of the time, it's because that was poorly designed, but mm -hmm. people aren't trained to understand how to interpret those feelings that they're having or interpret the frustration they're feeling as, oh, I'm feeling like this because this thing that I'm trying to work with is poorly designed. Right. Most people just get annoyed and don't find that source. They're working with a program that is difficult to use and it has errors or it fails or whatever. And they're just yeah. like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> and they're not like, oh, I hate this because it was poorly designed. So it's an interesting point you made about education. So we know that like schools aren't just going to adopt design education tomorrow. But some people now are getting much more access to the world of design through social media. They can just follow design or they can follow design milk or they can just follow a famous architecture firm and then follow who they follow, mm -hmm. which is cool. But it begs the question, are we more or less accessible as a community because of it? This is another thing that interaction with our coworker really made me think about was, okay, the design world feels bigger now because everybody can participate no matter what. They don't have to be up on the latest magazine or be in an actual in-person design community. But at the same time, what they're viewing, largely from what I've seen, is far more esoteric than ever would have been encountered before. Because you can just put crazy ass renderings of stuff that's never going to get built online. And that could be people's first interaction with design and be mm -hmm. like, oh, my God. And that could be their ambassador to the entire world of design. Mm -hmm. Well, I think more knowledge is better. More information is better. A lot of the information that people get these days is not necessarily good information or vetted or the best case example of anything, but the greater awareness helps. And so even if you start out and you're following some things and you, and you don't even realize that you're getting some pretty bad examples of what could have been designed much better, at least you are realizing that there's a greater world out here, right? Mm -hmm. And some people will never get past that. And some people will start to be like, oh, and they end up going down a rabbit hole and start discovering how things can be better. One of the beauties of the you know interconnected digital world that we live in now is that you can get that information. You can have anything like you can go anywhere and you can definitely live in some little realm of terrible, horrible, awful design of awfulness. But you also can very easily leave that little node and right. go somewhere else. And so your curiosity can take you anywhere. And as long as you're willing to explore I think there's the opportunity for people is once they get that taste of like, oh, design is cool. You want to learn more. Right. Hopefully, eventually that access to knowledge will lead to more knowledge in the general population. As a group, humans tend to end up with making better choices. The bigger the population, the more likely we will end up making a choice that is better than all the individuals. Interesting. 
Every time I post a show, I want to connect that show with a community that might be interested in it. So if we do one on graphic design, I'll try to find local Facebook graphic design groups and I'll link the show. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we get new listeners that way. What I find really amazing is that all the graphic design groups just call themselves design groups. And all of the fashion design groups just call themselves design groups. But they don't do that out of a sense of inclusivity. They think of themselves as design Mm -hmm. and everybody else as pronoun design, everybody else as architectural design and and landscape design. But we're designers. And that is something else that also occurred to me, that there is a possessiveness over the word designer even that is almost combative between the separate design communities, that we don't think of ourselves all in the same way. That might be doing us all a huge disservice. Yeah, actually, you touched on a thing that I always find super annoying because the idea of being good enough to be called a designer. As designers, we think that you have to meet some threshold to be a designer, like in quotes, a designer. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. I love that, like, there are people who out there who consider themselves makers, but they just like, they designed an app. I'm like, that's good. I'm glad you are. And you are creating something, but there's a difference. Well, so maybe we need to let it go and be like, every single thing that we can think of, there are people that are good at it and there are people that are bad at it. Sure. There are lawyers that get disbarred. There are doctors that lose their licenses. We don't like take away your architecture degree if you make terrible buildings, but like it must be true. It is true. There are people that call themselves designers Mm -hmm. that are absolutely catastrophically terrible at design. But is the word designer a barrier? Is it as bad as the word lawyer? What do you mean? Like there are great lawyers, right? There are lawyers that do pro bono work to help children who've been abused. Yeah, but there are also great lawyers who do not do pro bono work who are amazing at being lawyers. Right, but the word lawyer is a negative connotation immediately. If you just leave it alone and you say lawyer. Oh, I disagree. Interesting. I feel like in popular culture, people, when you say lawyer, they think of negative things first. And when you say doctor, they think of positive things first Uh or even dentist. Heck. Or you say architect and they think guy with architect glasses and that wears a cape Uh and is wearing black. And it's like they only design skyscrapers. Exactly. Yeah. In pop culture, the idea of what an architect is, is very different than what an architect is in real life. Separate from the whole debate about what a designer is in real life. But lawyers and doctors would say the same thing. Sure, yeah. I mean, you can't control what pop culture is going to no, but it idolize comes back as to the what ideal is the, of your profession. It comes back to what does the word do for us or what does the word itself do against us, which I had never considered before. But I mean, if you think of it like, let's say, TV shows. There's tons of TV shows that glamorize being a lawyer mm-hmm. and tons of TV shows that glamorize being a doctor or a cop or a fireman, like all these kind of professions that like little kids idolize. Mm -hmm. I don't really feel like there's a ton of little kids idolizing architects or designers. Maybe there are now, but like you don't really hear a lot of kids being like, I'm going to be an architect when I grow up or I'm going to be a designer. Yeah, it's like the fountainhead, which is problematic. (laughs) And that's it, right? Indecent proposal. I don't know. Like, (laughs) where do you go from there exactly? (laughs) How I Met Your Mother? (laughs) Like that was the... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. If I had seen How I Met Your Mother too early in life, I never would have been a designer. Total side story, I saw him speak, the guy who played Ted Mosby, at a a temple in D.C. Mm -hmm. And, like, he went off about how much he hates the character. Yeah, he's terrible. 
the worst part of that like, show. He's like, people ask me all the time if like Ted Mosby's ever going to be happening. And he's like, I always say the same thing. Do you really think he deserves this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that's like, that is a huge problem. There was recently this independent film called The Architect, which is literally this dark comedy about this architect who is the cliche architect who designs crazy bonkers stuff doesn't listen to the client, goes over budget, hates everyone, is generally a pompous jerk. And it's like, how is this still persisting? Maybe, oh my God, I hate to admit this. You know the movie The Lake House? You ever seen it? I haven't seen it. It might be the only movie I've seen in my entire life that close to sort of accurately represented what the life of an architect is like mm. and did it in a neutral almost positive light that's what I was wondering is because I can't think of any pop culture reference right now that I think reflects what one. it's really like that's the only one I mean it's a little fantastical in that he plays the son of a famous architect uh -huh. who has done his own thing but has serious issues with his dad for a while he does a thing with his brother and they have a little firm but then he goes and like becomes a contractor for a little while and it doesn't actually glamorize the profession and it also shows his life in contrast with his dad's life as a famous architect you can debate whether or not it's a good movie because there's this weird romantic element to it that makes very little sense but that's the only one i can think of and then when you broaden it to the idea of design and then it's just a complete mess of reality tv shows and such where people are like oh, I'm going to design a thing in 10 minutes. I'm going to like redesign the slipper room. Now right. I'm an interior design. Like there's such a denigration of what actual good design is because of those pop culture type shows and all those reality TV shows and stuff. And I mean, so this makes me maybe sound terrible because I'm like, ah, oh, that's not real. They're all terrible. This is not a real thing. Those are people pretending to be designers. Right. Which is maybe the crux of this problem is, again, like, should we really even be talking about it? Because there are good and bad in every profession. There will always be good and bad in everything. True. That's 100% true. And there will always be a population of people that really like the work of the people that are terrible at what they do. Because for them, it's good. Right. And that brings taste making and everything yeah. into it. But still trying to get at the crux of calling ourselves designers and trying to affect good. And actually, you know, the movie thing is interesting that there are tons of stories about lawyers, good and bad. Mm -hmm. Tons of stories about cops, good and bad. For every movie about a cop that's a hero, there's a movie about a corrupt cop. Yeah, good you know? cop, bad cop. It's yeah. a thing. But architects, it's like only very few and basically only bad. Yeah. Which is bizarre. How did that happen? And how do we fix that? I guess we need to make some connections in Hollywood. <laughs> Right? The, the lobby, a lobby for better listening. representation. In, uh, <laughs> Call us. <laughs> oh, my God. John Stewart. John Stewart and playing by heart. Oh, my God. It was this super cheesy 90s movie. It was one of those early. It was when John Stewart was trying to make movies. Yeah, it <laughs> was, was like, back no. in the day. Back in the day. It was like one of his few movie roles. And he plays like, it's one of those vignette movies like Valentine's Day or that BS where it's mm -hmm. like 12 romantic vignettes. Okay. But he plays like a young, harmless, successful architect. So a harmless architect. Harmless. <laughs> a harmless John Stewart-like person <laughs> might be the best. 
We're not talking about do no harm. Do. Just be a harmless architect. I'm going to challenge you to watch The Lake House. I'd be curious to know what you think of it. Are there sad parts? Yes. Then no. Definitely. Not doing it. I don't watch sad movies. I don't either. The only reason I liked it, I got suckered into it alone. I, like nobody else forced me to watch it. I just watched it because like, oh, the architecture aspect of it was very engaging and very interesting. But there are sad parts. There's a happy ending, if that helps. It does help. But the way that you'll get me to watch it mm-hmm. is if you narrate the entire story to me so I know what's going to happen. Oh, uh, I've done that. Yeah. The whole thing. Tell me all the sad parts. Tell me who's going to die, whose heart's going to be broken. Tell me all that stuff. Oh, I can do that. We'll do it after and the then, show. And then tell me how it gets better. And then I'll be like, okay, okay. I can mentally <laughs> prepare myself to I'll watch be- this movie. So on the off weeks of Design <laughs> Goggles, I'm just going to explain movies to Rachel. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And we'll bring Blake in because he's really <laughs> incredible at this because he has to do it all the time. <laughs> That's really funny. I could totally do that for you. Okay. I guess it was part of my hope and one of the reasons in a way I'm glad that we're not doing a guest for this subject because I feel like a show like this or 99%, I'm not comparing us to 99% Invisible, way better than the show. Those are accessible to everybody. And I hope giving the world design at least a normal portrayal, if not a good one, that it's not a bunch of people in an all white space, you know, just like all wearing black and saying words that don't make sense Mm -hmm. and making esoteric references to buildings and stuff. And it's not that that is completely untrue. There's certainly elements of that, but it's... Well, there are people that put up that facade because it's it's an affect that you can apply. You can decide to use that to affect that designer mode. You Mm -hmm. can talk in those terms. And you see a lot of it in architecture school. Oh, in the real world, too. And in the real world, too. There's a certain award ceremony in this city. But I mean, when you're in architecture school, it's like everybody's trying to learn how to do it. Right. You need to be exposed to it in order to learn how to not become a victim of it and have it be the thing that prevents you from actually being able to do good design. Because I think there's a significant number of people that don't see past that or they use it as a crutch to cover the fact that they aren't good designers. So they just try to use these words to cover it up and talk about all these things when mm-hmm. really what they're doing is worthless. Right. Or they're just going around in circles for their own amusement. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's different than being a designer or being an architect. The portion of design I feel like is the most accessible is being thoughtful. It starts with being thoughtful about anything you do. You can design your morning routine. Yes. You don't need a designer for that. But if you're thoughtful about what you want to accomplish Mm -hmm. and the amount of time you have and, you know, how much money you want to spend on your morning, like all these things, you can design a morning routine that's perfect for you. Or you can just do like me and just stumble through every morning. (laughs) This is why I think that we need design education from like preschool. We should always have design education. I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Do hang, it. hang on. I'm going to climb up there. <laughs> okay, I'm here. Okay, she's on the, she's on okay. the soapbox. So, because exactly what you're saying is that if people just thought about designing the minutiae of their lives, things would be easier. And that's so true. But people don't know that they can do that and that they are empowered to do that. And that there is a way of design thinking that can make situations easier for them. 
because a lot of people yes. just go through life and things are hard and complicated and they're just juggling a lot of things, trying to keep all the balls in the air and it's tricky and challenging and stressful. Mm -hmm. And there are ways to design your way out of that stress. But if you don't have a design education or you haven't educated yourself, because mm -hmm. you can absolutely educate yourself on those things mm -hmm. if you have the curiosity. If you don't have that, then people just struggle all the time. Because I think that's one of the things that is tricky with maybe the term design. And I almost got into this earlier, this issue of designing versus decorating. I think that's part of the issue with the term is that there's a big population of people that equate the concept of design with the concept of decorating. And they don't realize that they are absolutely entirely different things. Or it's kind of like cheerleading and dance, right? I am speaking as a person who like, I do decorate sometimes. We have a yeah. service called shopping and staging mm -hmm. where like literally what I do as a coworker and I go right. out, we buy a bunch of decorative items and we arrange them, which is decorating. Yeah. And it's a part, a small right. part of an overall design strategy. Right. But, but if you don't understand that it's a different right. thing, I agree. then you think that that you can't design something like from the point that I wake up in the morning to the point that I walk out of the door of my apartment and lock the door behind me. How do I design that sequence mm -hmm. to be most effective? Right. If you don't understand what design really means, then you don't really understand that's a thing you can design. I think there's a big gap in understanding about what design means in terms of functionality and just everything working. Design is not about making things pretty. I mean, it's not not about that. It's just that's a tiny part of the much bigger picture. And it's and when people just say, oh, design is making things pretty or look nice, they're missing a huge, significant, if not the most important part of what design really is. Mm -hmm. Well, there also can be beauty in achieving your goal, no matter what that was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because like, there's a, a non-aesthetic beauty to design that works. Yes. It functions very well. Yes. Like, for instance, I want to say a month or two ago, I posted on my Instagram a picture of this crappy beat up Samsonite bag that I have. Uh -huh. And it's not attractive <laughs> at all. But I've had it for like 20 plus years and it's been on 70 or 80 trips with me. It functions perfectly. It's really one of the most functional, indestructible objects mm -hmm. and a complicated object when you think about this particular suitcase. And it has nothing to do with the aesthetic quality of the thing, but it's probably one of the best designed objects I've ever had. But when you bought it 20 years ago, if it were totally ugly, would you have bought it? If it were just embarrassingly ugly? Probably not. It was never embarrassingly ugly. It was at best ignorable. Ignorable. Forgettable. Well, like, and so this particular case, it was more important that it be highly functional. And part of that function was that it would withstand the trauma. Right. And that was the design yeah. goal. The number one. And so that yeah. design succeeded because that was the goal of that design, right? And, and maybe that's the thing is that people don't understand that there are successful design, like a successful design meets the goal of that design. Peak design is some universal thing as opposed to there is a goal for each thing that is being designed and whether or not you meet that goal is whether or not that was successful. Right. This brings to mind a great uh, design story I like to talk about all the time, which is the Pontiac Aztec. Okay. The Pontiac Aztec, Pontiac doesn't exist. And certainly the Aztec no longer exists. It was I only made for three or four years. I remember what that car looks like. Yep. And at the time, it didn't sell well because it's one of the ugliest cars ever made. <laughs> However, it's become now a sought-after car for its design. I mean, it's because, way less ugly than a PT Cruiser. Well, yeah, it's a whole other thing. But the Aztec was designed in a way where they took every single piece of outdoor equipment they could think of 
and designed a car that could fit it all in different configurations mm -hmm. and made literally the perfect outdoor car. We it also that. transformed into its own tent. The entire back of the car literally transformed mm -hmm. into a tent that you could zip up and unzip. And it was, in a way, this amazing design achievement. And now it's being recognized for that. But then it was like, oh, my God, this is the ugliest car I've ever seen. Kill it. So that's what I'm wondering is when was this? Because I remember these cars, but I don't remember what year it was. I can show you. It was the 90s. Okay. It was like late 90s. Because it almost sounds like and now I'm remembering them. I haven't thought about this and probably since I saw the commercials for it back in the day. But now it was almost like it was before its time. Because it was, before, it was before, like, hashtag van life. Yeah. It, was it was solving before, problems that very few people had. It was before yeah. the Scion. Oh, the Scion XB? I don't know what the, but they're the little, they just, That's seriously, ice cream it's, trucks. it's like the, yeah, yeah. the sunroof <laughs> would open and two pieces of toast would be like, Yeah, I know exactly what's it. Yeah, I think it's the Scion XB is what that was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they look like little boxes driving around, like, really fast. Uh-huh. And that definitely two gigantic pieces of toast are going to be like, <laughs> I know exactly what anyway, you're talking about. But like that whole world of car where it came much later mm -hmm. than those, it's not aerodynamic. It's not sexy by these right. so whatever car standards we used to have, but right. it is highly practical. They just re-release that. Yeah, the beauty of a good design is just isn't always in its aesthetics. And it's also not always released at the time when it's going to be appreciated most. Yeah, well, like a morning routine isn't going to be objectively more beautiful. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> but it's going to- Speak for yourself, Charles. <laughs> It's just going to feel different and be less wasteful and achieve the goals you yeah. had. It's critical thinking to achieve a, a goal through thoughtful yes. trial and error and reconfiguration and experimentation. And this is why we should teach design thinking to preschoolers. It's become this big thing now in business school for many years, I guess. It's been a while since I've been in grad school. But it, like, so it's been a thing for more than a decade now, probably, of actually masters of like MBA programs are mm -hmm. actually bringing in and creating links with the design schools and their institutions to be like, let's talk about, let's teach design thinking to people that are studying business. And that's become a thing that is much more normal now as design thinking is becoming much more central to business, which is a good thing. Yeah, I agree. But like, you know, we're talking about people in grad school. We should be teaching this to two-year-olds. You know, it's a way to solve problems. If you teach it at a young age, like that's golden. Yeah. How much easier is that kid's life going to be if they can look at a problem that's complicated and tricky and frustrates them? Because everything frustrates well, a kid that just... age. Like everything is frustrating. Things are frustrating. Yeah. So let's look at how we can solve complicated, frustrating problems and find a better way and out. Being comfortable with experimentation and yeah. being comfortable with three-dimensional thinking and yeah. this, all these things aren't foreign. So I'm going to pose a question to you as a wrap-up question. Do you think there's a better word for design? We've talked about so many different concepts today that don't have the word design in them. Critical thinking, problem solving, strategy. Is design the best word to describe what we do? Without having time to think about it and analyze off the cuff, what I say is yes, it is the best word to define what we do. It is the word that describes what we do. And really the problem is not in the word, but in us communicating the meaning of the word to people. Hmm. The word is fine. It's that it gets mistranslated and misunderstood. And that's not going to be solved by changing the word. Hmm. The understanding and translation will be a problem probably always. People always have their own opinions about things, but 
we should own the word and the history that the word carries and the meaning that it carries. And if there's a problem with understanding them, then, then that's a thing we can work on. That was really well said. You should like host a podcast or something. Hey, maybe I should. You're pretty good at this. All right. Well, thank you for, for being on the show with me again for the 33rd, fourth time, whatever. No problem, Charles. <laughs> I'm just going to read this. <laughs> I'm going to read this thing. Could, would you come on again? This was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here next week. <laughs> and thank you very much for listening. Check out Design Goggles podcast on Instagram and Design Goggles on Facebook and Twitter. Also check out our blog on boredandvellum.com. There's always super cool stuff being posted there. And as always, please stop on by Board and Vellum in Seattle. Anytime for a chat with us, we would love to have you. Thank you again, and we will see you all in a few weeks.